uh, coming up with a story idea is really great fun. It's a massive, like a rush. I love it. It's one of the phasing things. Um, as Arnold says about, you know, the weightlifting, it's better than coming. Right. All right I don't know about that, but it is great. But it's, it, but it, that, those moments when you're like an idea comes in and you start building out that world, that's brilliant. That's like 1% of it. If that, the rest of it is the day in, day out, sit down, building on the skeleton that you've turned. Then there's the edits, then there's the edits, then there's the edits, then there's the edits. Then you think you're finished, you send it to publisher, then there's more edits and there's more edits and then there's a copy edits. And it's work, mate. The same as anyone else that sits behind the desk and works, looks at a computer screen. It's like that. Like, so that there's, yeah, there is that amazing excitement when you first get the idea and you start building it out. And some days you'll have a day where you'll have like, you'll, you'll really get in it and the, you know, the conversation will be coming out of like the dialogue between the characters and you'd be like, Oh yes, yeah, really great fun. But a lot of days it's just, just you sitting there and grinding out the same as anybody else grounds out of a job and people don't want that. Welcome to the show. I'm Joe Horton. On the Guild of Dad show, we unwrap weekly the incredible stories, skills, and expertise of the world's most captivating dads and experts, along with topics and stories that will captivate you and impact your life. If you are a dad that listens on a regular basis or a long-time listener, then thanks for tuning into this podcast and the discussions that we have. If you've only just discovered the podcast, then welcome. Look back through the back catalogue and discover a ton of other conversations. This podcast is for you, the dads that listen. It's you gents that drive me to succeed with Guild of Dads and the conversations that I have on this podcast. Your support inspires me to push on and lean into becoming the man and dad I want to be, knowing that I can pass on what I've learned to you. If you want to get involved, you can reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. I'm doing quite a lot on Twitter right now, which I'm finding really interesting and quite a lot of fun over there. So reach out to me over there. Or also, just drop me an email to joe at guildofdads.com. Tell me a bit about you, where you're from, and what challenges you right now to grow. I'd love to hear from you. You can also join our rapidly growing free Facebook group. Over in there, you will find a positive, encouraging community of other dads on life's journey. Currently at over 2,000 courageous men from across the world. The Guild of Dads message is resonating. A message of personal growth and brotherhood, and celebrating men and dads along with the far-reaching impact we can have on society. I'm proud to be on this journey with you guys and leading this movement. So what do you get on this podcast? Each week we deliver content and conversations that will expand what you think is possible for yourself, enabling you to positively impact yourself, all areas of your life and the lives of those that surround you. We do this by speaking to fascinating individuals, best-selling authors, entrepreneurs, ultra-athletes, professors, psychologists, military vets, and also some ordinary dads like you doing some extraordinary and impactful things. Every episode will give you either actionable resources to take away or a different perspective on a particular topic. These conversations are important and necessary because the world is changing. The role of dads and men is constantly under the spotlight, sometimes even under attack. And my dream is to make Guild of Dads the go-to resource for dads like you who want to make some change in your life and live lives of vision, action, and meaning. So what's this episode about? Today I speak about calling. No, not the calling that you do when you're trying to get your kids to come down to dinner, but the thing that life has called you to do. You may be doing the thing that you have been called to do right now or yet to be discover it. The chances are, it's there all the same. 
But how can we discover it? What becomes necessary to embrace it? And what do we do on the days we're really not feeling it? We delve into these questions on today's episode, and that's what today's episode is about. Inside the mind of a writer's calling. My guest today is best-selling author and host of the Veteran State of Mind podcast, along with Iraq and Afghanistan vet, Geraint Jones. Having been a professional writer for some years now, being called to it at an early age, we delve into what it takes today. This is Geraint's second time on the podcast, so you are in for some great conversation as always. And now, to my conversation with Geraint. Geraint, welcome to... I'm going to say it again to the Guild of Dads podcast because this is round two after you were on it before. Mate, thank you for having me back. I'll be looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, last time we sort of we delved into uh, a, a little bit about your life and uh, you know some different things about uh, how you've kind of got to where you are in life. We kind of wax lyrical on masculinity and loads of other different subjects and stuff. This time round, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about the creative side of. Uh, Geraint Jones and the and and how you've kind of really begin began to kind of harm it, harness that side of your personality a few years back. Um, you're kind of you're a prolific writer, Sunday uh, Times best-selling author. How did you get into how, how does how does a former combat combat veteran get into writing? How did that journey start, man? First of all, man, I'm just really happy that you said wax lyrical. One of my favorite terms. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Um, mate, honestly, right, I think you probably agree with me with this. I think people are born with a calling a lot of the times. Um, and I do think that that can change throughout your life. But I do think that we kind of come out of the womb with some kind of programming. And I think for me, it was two. It was soldiering and it was writing. So it was never so much about like what do I want to do? It was just more about when am I going to have time to do this? You know, I didn't have to go and find what I wanted. It was always there for me. And, um, um, after the, I mean, so like when I was in the army, I just knew I was going to do it at some point when I was in Iraq, I took a big box full of books about Romans out with me so that I could start researching the books, um, that I, you know, I'd end up later writing. And, um, when I was in Afghanistan, I kept a journal because I knew I wanted to write about Afghanistan one day. So I, it was always there, mate. Um, it, it just, it's, it was getting the time to sit down and same as like going to the gym, you know, you've just got to do reps and that's the same with writing. Like one of the mistakes people think about writing is, oh, once I sit down and I write, then that'll be it. I can write my book. And the first thing I write will be my book and like, okay, that's true. But your book's going to be a pile of shit. You know, like there's probably a few geniuses out there who sit down and the first thing they write is gold. But for the rest of us mere moles, you have to sit down and put your reps in and your reps in, your reps in, your reps in. And that's how you get good at it. And when you think about it, how could it be any other way? Like nobody picks up a guitar and just writes a fantastic song first time they picked up a guitar, right? So this idea that people have in their heads of, oh, I'll just sit down and be like, oh, I'm really struggling to write my first book. I'm like, well, how long have you been like trying to write for? Well, I've done about 10 pages now. So like, that's like w- walking into the weight room, looking at a bench and going, why am I not Arnold Schwarzenegger? You know, it's just ridiculous. You have to, you have to take it as any other skill and work on it. Um, and that for me, that opportunity came, which I was very, I've, I've been very lucky with a lot of things, but I've had a life that has a lot of inspiration. Um, I was introduced to writing from a parent, so that was massive. Um, 
That was one question I was going to ask, actually, whether it whether well, we, we can come back whether, 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 whether you've got whether you've got a family history of writing and stuff and that. So whether you, well, whether you saw mum and dad reading and writing as well, sort of thing. It was definitely encouraged, mate, one hundred percent. And like my mum likes to tell me, I I used to just sit on the as a kid, I'd sit on the potty and like just would not get off there with my book, which is a, a something I still do to this day. Although usually now I was looking at my phone. Um, but I always just used to read me. I was like massively just, just when we go on holiday, you'd hardly see me. I'd just be in my room reading. Um, I used to read loads of books when I was in the military. I just always like read, read, read. And I think part of that is like being lucky because being before the smartphone generation. Um, so that was great because I'm human. I probably would have got, sucked into that the same as everyone else does you know with the the dopamine hits i mean i i'm definitely sucked into it now so i'm sure i would have been as a kid so i'm really glad that i had that when that wasn't around you know yeah there was internet but it was a massive like pain in the ass to get on it so you just rarely got on it so i play sports read books um and then like i said i've had like life a lot of life experiences which have um contributed to being able to form stories form characters all that kind of thing and that's something i tell young writers all the time it's like i get people young young people message me you know how do i get into writing i'm like Dude, just go and live your life first you know go and live your life get life experience how can you write things that will touch people if you've never actually been through anything yourself you know it's just again this is not going to happen mm-hmm. um and then i started working on ships started doing security on the ships and it was a very nice little rotation, three hours, nine, uh, three hours on, nine hours off, or four on, eight off. And uh, there's not that much you can do in that downtime. So that finally gave me the time to sit down and start writing. And I started off with screenplays because I was thinking, hmm, if I write a screenplay, sell this, a couple million dollars, sorted. I thought, I'm quite a confident person, mate, so I thought it's going to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> I, gen- I generally thought, if I just sit down and do this for a year or two, I'll be a millionaire by 30. Um, I wasn't, and um, but that those were my reps. That's what got me, you know, the, the working on the art form of the story. And I'm not somebody that learns by. There's people that do master classes, master, um, you know, the master classes. They go, pay, they go to classes, and you know, it physically go to classes, online go to classes, watch videos about writing. That ain't me. Um, I think the fact that I've read many, many leather bound books probably had something to do with i think i just from from osmosis just kind of took in that this is how a story structure should be because i read so many good authors mm. um so that just it just sunk in so that really i've just always had a knack for being able to write the structure without ever now, now something like now i'm trying to i'm trying to squeeze out that extra five percent now that is something that I've come back to, but to get to get into it, I never did, never did any classes, never did any lessons or you know anything like that. Just started writing, and um, and I, I think I have a natural talent for it. So I think there's a few kind of things have come together. I think one, I got encouraged to read at young age, which was vital. Um, I love it, which makes a big difference. And um, then on top of that, I had experiences. I had. Um, like, you know, it's total luck that I happened to be in the army when Iraq and Afghanistan happened. It's total luck. Mm. Yeah, you know, so I got that side of things as well. I mean, very few people get to go to war. Very few people get to be in combat. But I got that. So, I mean, that probably propelled my writing years ahead um, because I saw, the, you know, the human experience of kind of like each end of the spectrum. Um, did a bunch of drugs as well. That probably didn't hurt. 
but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just just enhance <laughs> experience a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, like that helped me reach rock bottom, and rock bottom has a great a lot of great story ideas down there. Um, so that's that's kind of part of it. And and did, so um, did you I, use did you use journaling when you were actually in uh, combat to kind of process? You know, no, mate, it wasn't emotions. Or, no. no, I just say like the, the the one kind of other ingredient on top of that, mate, is I do think that we are all given certain natural talents. I think mine happens to be writing, so I think it just comes from me. I know Stephen Pressfield, you know, you know, obviously Stephen, he talks about the hero's journey, been doing this great series on it, and he, you know, one of the things I agree with Steve when he talks about is every human being. I think we are all on a hero's journey, which is hardwired into us. I think it's what makes us get up and leave and go look for work, go look for villages, go look for a relationship. Um, and I think maybe I just happen to, for whatever reason, I have some something in me that let me tap into seeing that naturally more than maybe some people do. I don't know, mate. I mean, I don't have the answers on that, to be quite honest, and I doubt I ever will do, but it comes naturally to me. I'll put it that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the journaling, I wasn't journaling to process anything, mate, or not deliberately, at least I was journaling, um, to record events. Okay. So, so there was no like, oh, um, you know, I'm feeling really down about this. Why am I feeling down about this? And doing like a kind of cognitive behavioral therapy thing of like, you know, it was none of that. It was just like, um, was sitting on the toilet today. Someone fired an RPG. Then I went up on stand and started shooting back, you know, (laughs) that, that kind of thing. Um, because I knew uh, from experience, I, I I didn't think that going on tour and going on a combat deployment would be something that you'd forget. But it turns out that it is. Like anything else, you forget things. So after my first deployment, I was like, ah, oh, maybe I should start keeping one of my seconds. So I started keeping a rough one. And then after that, after a year later, I was like, Jesus Christ, I started to forget things. So that when I went to Afghanistan, I had the benefit of two tours previous where I was like, I'm writing down, excuse me, everything on on this tour you know so little bits of conversation if someone said something that was really funny and i remember that i put that down you know if there was a any kind of incident that stood out for whatever reason i put that down and then when i look back on those uh those now uh, and when i wrote brothers in arms you know i wrote brothers in arms like five years after afghanistan five six years after so i only needed a note or two to jog th- those memories but if i didn't have those notes those memories might have been lost like i came across one i looked at my iraq one the other day and i totally forgotten this but it came back to me once i saw it, it was was one night i was in warrior which is the army vehicle and we were driving out and there was a big red moon rising and there was like tracer fire just going up around the moon and stuff and i totally forgot about that mm-hmm. at the time it was one of the coolest things i've ever seen well it still is one of the coolest things but I totally forgot about it. And then I saw that note and I was like, oh yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> but yeah, I totally forgot about it. So you're so essentially what what they became was like an what I would call an aid memoir. So it was it effectively enabled you to kind of tap back into those memories and reignite them in your brain so you can then use those as part of your uh, creative process of piecing things back together again and, and formulating the writing out of it then. Absolutely, mate. And I, yeah. I'd love to write about the times I had some like, um, school interesting times in like LA and stuff between like 2015, 14, sorry, and like 17. And at the time I was like, Jesus Christ, this is just like such good material for like a book. But now that I've been out of that scene for a few years, it's very hard for me to get, like, I can remember like, the overarching things, but it's very hard for me to kind of really put myself back into it because, um, I mean, I was taking a lot of drugs at the time. 
but also I was just in a tif- totally different mindset. And it was very hard for me to, when I'm sitting at home in Wales with a cup of tea, to put myself back into the mind of a 20, like, um, sorry, late 20s, early 30s guy, you know, with, let's just say, the lifestyle that was going on then. It's just, it's night and day. And could I really, could I do that from almost, it would almost be like fiction to kind of write it. Like, so a book I've just written, I've just written a book set in the 40s. Well, I've never lived in the 40s, but I can put my fiction head on and write a book set in the 40s. But when it comes to writing fiction about yourself, it's just, it just feels really weird. Like if you write about yourself, you want it to be authentic, as, as authentic as possible. Um, so what I've discovered is that like, you think you're going to just be able to think back to these things and you might be able to remember the incidents, but it's very, very hard to remember the exact feelings that you had. And I think that's one of the reasons that Brothers in Arms really kind of um, hit home with a lot of veterans, which was the most important thing to me was because uh, the, there's no hindsight when I'm writing it. Everything in there is I deliberately I wrote it from my feelings on the day so the fact now that I feel differently about a lot of stuff well that doesn't matter the book is about Afghanistan I'm writing about how I felt at the time and I was able to do that because I had um I had a journal you know and it must have been like reasonably I, I ended up like filling up like two moleskins so it was like reasonably like you know a, a moleskin every three months so like reasonably detailed yeah so it's capturing a moment in time rather than actually looking at it retrospect like retrospectively and from a position of the present time and looking back on it uh so it becomes like almost like a time capsule of of those of those kind of events do you find that in terms of like the fiction characters you have to kind of step into an alter ego of some kind when you're actually writing to actually fully get into the character in the same way as kind of like actors do when they're when they're stepping into character and, and actually trying to put yourself into the position of the characters to what they're thinking, feeling, and going through? That's a really good question, mate. Um, and to be honest, it's not something, again, it's something I just kind of, no, these are great questions because they're not really things that I think about much. You know, I just kind of do them. So it's good. This is making me think. But I'd say a lot of main characters are probably what the author thinks about himself in one way or another. So a lot of main characters will probably be what the author wants to be or what the author's afraid of or what the author used to be, what they want to grow into. There'll be a lot, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of that in the author. So the book I've just written, which I can't really talk about too much, unfortunately, because I've written it for somebody else, which is how I pay the bills. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, that was a different one for me because for the first time I was re- write, writing about a female protagonist uh, and a mother. So I ha- I really had to kind of like, and you, you know what? It's probably going to need a woman's touch and a mother's touch from in the editorial process because I'm sure I've probably mm-hmm. missed some things that a woman would pick up on straight away. Um, so that's that's been a, a challenge, and I, uh, I can't see you slipping into a pair of stilettos in your super ego <laughs> self somehow. I mean, mate, I, I think to be I think to be honest is. <laughs> I think this is, but again, this is what it comes down to why reading is, if you want to be an author, read and read a lot and also get out and live life because I've, you know, every character is usually some kind of like collection of people that you've met. So if you can't go out and meet people, then how the hell are you going to, <laughs> how are you going to write compelling three-dimensional characters? You know? Yeah. So the more life you live, 
the more life you live, the better your characters are going to be. Mm. Um, but I do find some characters easier to write than others. Like I think I, you know, I think I'd like I'd say that I don't think there's many people that can write soldiers and veterans better than I can. But I, what am I like writing female characters? Not, definitely not as good. You know, like that. That's one part of my game that I'm I'm really trying to work on um, because it's 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 not my strength. Um, I'm, I, I would not be very strong uh, writing about a 21 year old art student, you know, who is woke. I wouldn't be great at writing that character because I don't know that character. But more importantly, I've well, I've never been that character myself. But I've I don't have people in my life who are that character. Yeah. So if I wanted to write that character, I'd need to go and put myself amongst people who are like that, you know, because I can make guesses the same way. But when I read somebody that's made, I can see has made guesses about veterans and soldiers. I'm like, I can see you guessing mate, because this isn't what we're like, you know? Yeah. Like, and I think yeah. that comes, I, I think that comes like, you, you could see when somebody's writing from not obviously like a lot of writing is third hand experience, but there's third hand experience through um, osmosis and third hand experience through guessing. Like, I mean, you can, you can tell when the, the, you can tell the difference between the two. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I've noticed as well, and, and, and I've shared this on recent podcasts as well. And I, and, and I, and I what I found recently is, is like you, I read quite, I read a hell of a lot of books and, and, and what I've found particularly in relation to like men and dads and kind of the kind of mental health space. Like it, at the minute I've been quite interested in, I kind of did a deep dive into kind of Jungian psychology and the kind of the hero's journey and the middle passage of life that they describe and this the kind of notion of the ego journey in the first part of life and then the kind of soul journey as you kind of get into the second part of life and a lot of guys get pulled towards a calling. But what I find now when I'm reading, when I'm, the more I read and, and the longer I spend time reading and digesting kind of a lot a, a lot i think your brain kind of shifts up from like a fifth into a sixth gear if that makes any sense and and, and jordan peterson talks you know he kind of articulates things he speaks about notions and concepts and things and and as he's talking he he brings you into the the, the thought processes that are going on in his mind and how he kind of you know laces all this stuff together and you what i find now is like when I've when I'm coming up with kind of concepts and hypotheses and stuff like that, I find that it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle, and all the pieces are kind of muddled, muddled up. And then I'm like, okay, so I kind of solidify something a little bit, and then so that piece goes there, and then that piece goes there, and that piece goes there, and then I'll speak to someone about it, and I say, okay, this is this is what I'm thinking. I think these pieces go together, and then they'll go, hmm, yeah, I think you're right on that, and so. It, kind of i think reading really forces you to to kind of um conceptualize quite difficult things in your head and, and it's kind of like a you know like when you go onto the seashore at low tide and you turn over a rock and you're like oh that's something there and then you turn over another rock and there's something there and there's and it and it's and it's almost like the more rocks you turn over the more pieces of information you get and one bit leads on to another. And it's it's a really kind of weird sort of journey that you go on as you start to read and process and digest information. And and um, and then that affects your outputs as well. And you can probably relate to this. It affects, you know, 
when you're conceptualizing this stuff, it affects how you begin to convey it either on a on a video or a piece of written work or a book or whatever. You begin to formulate your opinions and people, when you say it to them, they're like, I get what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Well, there's, there's, two, there's, there's two things that I think you really get from books, mate. One is you realize that um, your own experiences aren't unique, that everyone else has gone through those experiences. Um, and that's great because it kind of bonds you with humanity in general. And it's also great because you're like, oh, great, there's answers out there for all, all my questions. There's an answer out there somewhere. My, well, apart from a few, very few, but there's there's philosophical answers to those. Um, and then the other one is it just makes you realize you just don't know anything. Yeah. Really. That's the other one. They're like, ah. uh, and you talk about the, the journey from the ego to the soul. That's really, um, I think maybe when you look at people's reading, a lot of people, well, like, so like a lot of the stuff I'd read, when I was a kid, I'm, I'm interested. I want action stories. I want action. I want action. I want action. So you place, because you picture yourself being that action hero, right? And that's all about the ego. Now I'm like, okay, I want to learn. I want to hear some philosophy. I want to, I want to hear about how hard somebody else had it. So I realized that my own life isn't hard. And that's all like the kind of like the journey of the soul. I've been reading a world war, a book by world war two, uh, world war two, world war one, uh, pilot at the moment. And, um, it's nuts because some of the conversations are almost word for word, the conversations I've been having on the podcast on Veteran State of Mind, plug, plug. And it's nuts because I'm like, in one sense, I'm like, wow, like, I'm touched. Like, I'm like, I want to meet this person, this person that he was. I know we would have got along. I would love to have talked to him. Then there's the other part of me. I'm like, Jesus, this person, like, I think with something like the trenches, we can think, oh, well, they were kind of different to us, so it wasn't that bad. I'm like, no, no, they're exactly the same as us. It was awful. Like, like going for the trenches through their trenches for them was what it would be like for us. It's absolutely awful. So there's that, like that kind of common humanity. Um, then there's the kind of like, I'm like, God, this guy's really good. Like, I'm actually not as good as I thought. Cause I used to think I'd be like, oh, I'm gonna be one of the best writers in the UK. Now I'm like, all right, I'm kind of like, I'm decent, but like there's just like this whole other tier you know and it's like that's okay you know because same as anything it's like well do you want to dedicate x more amount of your time to perfect that ah, i'm like mm, actually no i want to go out with boys so yeah, you know <laughs> so, but that no but that, that's that's fine but that that you can only get to that answer by you know understanding that you know what it takes to go to that next level and appreciating that um and yeah the other thing about this this book is just i'm just like there's so you could say in some ways it's reassuring because it's that they're, they're worried about the same things and i'm like okay so history repeats itself humanity repeats itself but then there's the other part of me it's like oh my god this is so tragic like we've really the, these guys went through the fucking trenches a hundred years ago and i started thinking about it and i was like what will it get for humanity to change like these guys were lined up in a trench opposite another trench. Every now and again, they'd get out, rush towards the other. They were living in like ramp with ramparts of dead bodies, rats around them, feasting on the dead. And humans didn't change their ways. Mm. Imagine that, mate. Imagine that society had been through that and didn't change its ways. And that made me think, and that, and that, that's actually been bugging me, which is why I'm getting off my chest now. That's been <laughs> fucking, it's been worrying me because I'm like, Jesus, like, if that's not going to change things, whatever will. So, um, 
But yeah, books, but I think I think but I think it's, a, it's <laughs> sorry a, to put me up. But, no, know. but it's a good it's a good point you make though, because I think the thing is is books transport you back to a period in time which seems like a long time ago. Like you would think oh World War Two, that's nineteen fourteen, that seems like a long time ago. But in actual fact that's just that's just okay. over a hundred years ago. And then when you when you watch World War Two film films or you read books about World War Two, you realise that's under a hundred years ago. Yeah. This thing, these things that were happening were within the last century. So they're not a long time ago, but it's amazing how short people's memories are in terms of, um, in terms of the upheaval that caused the world at that particular time, but also the thousands of people that lost their lives and, you know, the, the circumstances leading up to that. And, you know, and that's why I think, you know, we spoke on air before we, came, you know, we're not going to go down the rabbit hole of pandemics because people are, sick and tired of hearing of do creative that, like creative that. episode so, <laughs> so but what i think is is what i think is interesting is people are you know you look at the kind of lead up to world war two two for instance and anyone that knows their history knows exactly how you know the national socialist party came to power and they were struggling and it was actually the wall street crash that gave them you know the hyperinflation in germany that gave them the the ledge almost they needed to get a foothold and and begin the rise to kind of power. That was the kind of turning point that really kind of gave them what they needed to. Um, but you then you see the kind of the tactics that the kind of they were using and the kind of manipulation and the you know um, propaganda and you know behavioural psychology and stuff. And you know there's raging you know arguments about this on social media at the moment in terms of some people were saying, yeah, okay, this is what's happening at the minute is no different to that. And then other people say, no, how can you say that? It's, it's completely different and we're living in a different time and people should be, should be able, should be doing their duty and whatever. And we wouldn't have survived the war if we, everyone thought about themselves and stuff. So it's, sometimes it's in, interesting how the history, how history is interpreted differently, depending on what the agendas are of the people in the current time as well. well so. mate, yeah. And I, I just think that people, who don't read a lot of history fall into the trap of thinking that they're special and that like, cause what, when you read a lot of history, you realize just how much fucking batshit crazy stuff happens on a regular basis. Um, you know, so right now there's stuff going on around the world right now. Like if you're living in certain parts of the world right now, you're living in war. Um, in some places you're living in genocide. If you're born in a, a, a girl in certain countries, you can be sold. Like there's slavery still. Those people are people in 2021 that are just the same as you, you and I are. And when you read, especially when you read personal accounts, and this is one of the, the problems with history textbooks is, as much as I love them, love my history textbooks, but I think history textbooks should always be balanced up with personal accounts. Because when you are reading a history textbook, you're like, oh, wow, about this battle, 100,000 people died. Huh. That wasn't so bad. And I hate it. I hate it in history books when they're like, and they only lost 3,000 men. Oh, yeah, 3,000 families destroyed only. Mm. I hate mm. that. So use that. So if you're writing history books, don't put that in. I'll punch you in the fucking face. Um, but it's it's that. But that's the way we kind of think, you know. Whereas when you read an account of, so like, you know, like let's take um, the famines in the Ukraine, you know, under like the Soviets, right? You go, oh my God, that's a lot of people that died in, in a famine. That sounds awful. But then you go and read a personal account 
about parents deciding which one of their children they're going to feed because they know that they can't keep both of them alive. And then they talk about going out and looking for other people's kids who are out foraging so that they can kill those kids and feed them to their own kids. And this is all fucking happened. I'm not making up anything here. This has all happened. And it's happened less than, less than eight years ago. Less than eight years ago, this happened. People in Ukraine eating other people's kids to stay alive. Um, so we don't need to go down this dark hole, but all I say is when you read that history and then you, you realize this person is no different to me, we just happen to be born at different times, I would have to make these same decisions if I was in that situation or if that happened now. And, you know, people think, I, I, I've been lucky enough to interview World War II veterans on the podcast. And one of the things I've asked them is, did you think World War II was going to happen? And they always say, well, we thought it was going to sort itself out. We thought things would work out. We didn't think it would go to war. We definitely didn't think that it would be the war that it was with nuclear bombs, fire bombs, cities. Fucking, I can't remember the exact number. Is it 64 million dead or something like that? Mm. But nobody saw that come in. They thought, okay, well, maybe even if it does go to war, it'll be a bit of a war and then it'll be, you know, it'll be over with like a year, you know? And, and these are people who just, what, 30 years earlier had had the trenches. So it's not like that they'd forgotten about that. That was still in living memory. Mm-hmm. So if they if they could think that World War II wasn't going to happen and they had World War I within living memory, then what can happen to us now? And um, that's why books are so important. History books are so important. But personal accounts, I really think... Um, I'm a big believer. I think one of the things we need to start doing at Remembrance Days is start to have readings because... It used to be that the people that used to be at those parades, a lot of them, their fathers would have been through the trenches or their uncles or somebody. And they, they, you know, they would have seen people walking around the village, missing arms and legs and things like that. Whereas now we're really disconnected from that. Very few people actually go to war. Very few people actually die. Um, we're so, losing. For, and, and the thing is, is there's, there's less of the, that World War II generation. A lot of they're them almost go, all gone. They're almost all gone now. So there's not going to be those first-hand accounts any longer you've obviously captured some of them on the podcast but you know a lot of those guys that they're, they're going now and, and so you've you've got that generational division of where people they're 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 one far they're slightly far removed from the actual facts of the situation because there's no one to recount it in kind of in real time in real time exactly mate. and that's where we have to have books have to come in but not everyone's going to go and buy a buy a book so we have to get books we, we have to get these um, accounts and stories out to people through YouTube, through podcasts, through readings at events and stuff. And I, I think that's really important. Mate. And I, I, you know, the old saying, like those who don't um, know history are doomed to repeat it. I just think that like, that is just 100% true. And unfortunately it's always proved itself true throughout history. So one of the lessons from history is that we never learn from history. So I, I don't think it's going to be any different. Mate. I think there's going to be, um, I think you and I happen to be very lucky to live in a time and a place which is pretty idyllic in terms of human, you know, like human life experiences. But right now there's a lot of people on the world in the world right now who are having a fucking horrible time. Mm. And uh, that unfortunately will continue. And it, the Britain's turn will come again. It's going to be another time where, where in Britain, it's going to be a really, a really horrible place to be. And that'll come when, mm. when we don't know, but it's going to happen. Um, yeah. And it's just, I, I find it kind of tragic, man, because one of the things it does, you know, I do feel like when I'm reading these books, I'm like, my God, we have all the answers. All the answers to every problem that we have in the world is right in front of us, in books, 
and we choose to ignore it. And that kind of makes me want to put my head through a wall. <laughs> but there we yeah. go. Such is well, life. But, that, no, but, but that's one of the things about life. Yeah. The thing is, is it's because you can see that we've been there, we've done that, we know, we've got the T-shirt, and in actual fact... <laughs> Why are we doing that? You know, again? you know what it's like. It's like, like it's because we're men. It's the same reason that we buy a box from uh, we buy a flat pack from IKEA and we don't look at the instructions. It's it's exactly it's ego, mate. It's the ego. We all think that we know better, and then we don't. But by the time that we figured that out, we fucked it for the next generation and the next one and the next one. Uh, yeah. Such is life, unfortunately. Yeah. Mate, so. yeah. Gents, I'm going to jump into the conversation here very quickly. You've probably heard me mention that putting out a regular podcast involves a substantial investment of both time and money to make it happen. Guild of Dads isn't sponsored, and I'm 100% self-funded. So I've recently set up a service called Ko-Fi, which means if you like and appreciate what I'm doing with the Guild of Dads podcast and Facebook group, or even if you want to follow me on social media, then you can buy me a coffee to say thanks and support my work. Just head on over to guildofdads.com and you'll see a small coffee cup at the bottom left-hand side of the screen entitled Donate. You can also follow me on there, so I'll be posting updates and some other cool stuff just to let you know what I'm up to. Any of you guys helping to support the podcast and group by donating will get a shout-out on both platforms as my thanks to you for getting behind what I'm doing. If you ever wonder how some of my amazing guests get to where they are in life, the athletes, the entrepreneurs, those making a massive impact on the world, I can tell you that pretty much all of them follow a very deliberate plan or system of some kind. This is exactly what I do too, and I'm revealing how you can implement a plan and system in your own life completely free in my ebook, The Dad Blueprint, over at guildofdads.com forward slash dad. Incidentally, many of the people I interview on this show will be leveraging the power of similar systems to radically level up their lives and transform into the men and dads they always wanted to be. So you'll be in amazing company. And now back to today's conversation. When you were, when you were looking at like, when you were do, actually getting your books out there and actually, you know, you're an aspiring writer and you're getting these books written, did you suffer rejection and knockbacks and stuff in terms of having to get them before? I don't know what process that you went through in order to get them before publishers and stuff. But do, was there a, was there a point where you were kind of were you accepted kind of straight off the bat, or was it a case of right, I'm going to send this to this publisher and I'm going to get knocked back? What time after time after time until I uh, kind of strike goal? Mate, I was I was never an aspiring writer, mate. As soon as I said I was going to be a writer, I was never an aspiring writer. I was a writer, right? Is it? That's it. I was a writer. It's going to happen. As soon as I said I'm going to be a writer, there was never any doubt that I'm going to be. Oh, I'm going to be getting knocked back. No, I'm going to be fucking smash it. That was my attitude from the beginning. And I think, you know, again, this is some somewhere where having life experience helps because I had the track record of smashing it. Everything I said I was going to do, I'd done. So why would I doubt why would I doubt myself about writing a book? Now, I knew that it might take a while, but I also knew that it would happen. I never had any doubt that it would not happen. And that I would never had any doubt that it would not be a career. Like no, no doubt at all. Um, I never had any doubt that I'd set a film, never had any doubt that I'd have book deals, just never had any doubt. And the reason for that is not because I think I'm a great writer, it's just because I think there's a lot of publishers, a lot of books get published. If you work hard, if you have a modicum of talent, you will create a product at some point that someone's going to buy. Simple as that. Like, I don't go, oh, I'm going to be a aspiring, like, aspiring personal trainer just go and do the fucking course turn up for work you'll be a personal trainer 
it's the same thing as same thing as writing. You know, it's just like you do the work, as Stephen Bursford will say, giving him a lot of plugs today, but for good reason, because he's the the G on this stuff. But he's the, the oracle. He's the yeah, oracle but, to which we but, all hold ourselves. Yeah. But if you do the work, mate, you, you do the work, you'll get the results. Simple as that. Um, so, you know, time plus effort equals fucking results. Um, so I, when it came to submitting and stuff, going after publishers, I'll say two things on this, actually. The first thing is people put the car before the horse. One of the things I always get asked, so I did a, like a, um, I had one of those days, I think it might have even been after a conversation with Steve, and I was like, I want to do something to help people. So I was like, I'm going to do a free webinar where people can come and we'll do like a, basically what you and me doing now, but with like, I think it was like 12 people. I Because I, I, I didn't want too many people. I was like, we'll have 12 people. And almost every question was about getting a book deal. I was like, guys, you haven't written the book yet. You haven't, it's like, I'm going to go to Mr. Olympia. Right, how's your bench press going? Oh, I've never done bench press. All right, well, you might want to get the physique before you start thinking about it. And like, I get it because that's the exciting part to think about. No one wants to think about, oh, I've got to turn up and write every day for six months. You know, people want to think about, oh, at the moment I get the deal. I get it, but you're never going to get there if that's your attitude. The attitude needs to be, what do I need to do to get the book deal? Not, how do I get it? You know, how do I then approach agents? Well, unless you've got a fucking book for one thing, you, you, you shouldn't. But... um do you that think that? Co- you, sorry, just sorry to interject. No, go ahead, mate. Do you do you do you think that affects the quality of books that are being put out at the moment because of that keenness to just put a book out? I see a lot of people go, oh, "I need to put a book out. I've got to put a book out. I must put a book out," and then they yeah. put it out and it's kind of like an extended pamphlet. No disrespect, because I've not put yeah. a book out, but it kind of, you know, you could put it through a letterbox. It's that thin, big letters. It's almost written like a children's book, and you're yeah. like. Really, don't put it out for the sake of putting it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, so there's there's two things on this. One is that publishing is a business, and the way that you make money is by selling large numbers of copies. So if someone is a celebrity and has a massive following, their book will make a publisher a lot of money because they've brought a following along with them. So that's one way that maybe stories that would not that they go to market that would not necessarily go to market if that person didn't have a following is that. But the self-publishing thing is is a gift and a curse because without doubt there are some people out there who have put out self-published work that we probably never would have seen otherwise, and that's brilliant. Reason that there's gatekeepers and some of the stuff that goes out self-published is just absolute. It's, it's wank. And I think that's disappointing for that person because it's like you only get one shot at first impression, unfortunately. But also, you know, it's – I mean, look, it's its a tough one because if someone really feels the need to get something out there and, they, and then they're happy about it, then really does it matter about the quality of the work? No, it's, like, good for that person if they're happy with it. But I just think a lot of people, it's just – it's impatience. They're not willing to delay gratification. And as a result, they blow their chance. Mm. Um, I 100% believe that everyone can get a publishing deal if you produce good work. Like publishers want books. Like when, when, like imagine you're a fantastic football player. You're going to get a contract with a football club. They want fantastic football players. If you work at your writing, if you become a really professional, if you become professional at your craft, and you can produce the work why wouldn't a publisher want your work 
course they want your work. They're not going to just be like, oh, but well, no, like it's it's a very inclusive industry. They're not going to say, oh, we don't want this because he's he's um, he's twenty five years old, or we don't want this because they're a certain race. It's like they want your fucking work if it's good. Um, and people rushing to you know to the stage of trying to get something bought rather than trying to make something good is probably where most people fail on it. And and here's the other thing, mate. Right? I'm just gonna be honest with this. Most people don't want to be authors. They want to have a book deal. Those are very different fucking things. Like, I love getting book deals. There's a lot of days where I don't enjoy being an author because it's a job. It's a job like anything else. It has stress. It has pressure. It involves a lot of time. Uh, coming up with a story idea is really great fun. It's a massive, like, a rush. I love it. It's one of the phasing things. Um, as Arnold says about, you know, the weightlifting, it's better than coming, right? All right I don't know about that, <laughs> but it is great. But it's it, but it, that those moments when you're like an idea comes in and you start building out that world, that's brilliant. That's like one percent of it, if that. The rest of it is the day in, day out, sit down, building on the skeleton that you've turned. Then there's the edits, then there's the edits, then there's the edits, then there's the edits. Then you think you're finished, you send it to publisher, then there's more edits, and there's more edits, and then there's a copy edits. And it's work, mate. The same as anyone else that sits behind the desk and work looks at a computer screen, it's like that. Like so that there's yeah there is that amazing excitement when you first get the idea and you start building it out and some days you'll have a day where you'll have like you'll you'll really get in it and the, you know, the conversation will be coming out like the dialogue between the characters and you'll be like oh yes really great fun but a lot of days it's just just, just sitting there and grinding out the same as anybody else grinds out a job and people don't want that they want they want the the finished book in their hand without doing any of the work uh, i'd love to be an nfl player am i willing to put in the like the every hour of training and the all the physio that that would require and the ice baths like no i know you're an ice shower you know you're a cold shower man am i willing to do all that no i just like the idea of running around on an nfl pitch you know so that that's a that's a big one in it for some reason it's a very weird one with with writing mate it seems to be everyone thinks that they can do it for some reason everyone thinks that they can do it and I do think that with eff- with the, the effort and practice, everyone probably could get to a decent standard. I do think that obviously we do all have certain natural talents and stuff like that. So that's kind of part of it. But I do think everyone could produce a, a, a passable book with the right amount of time. I'm sure I could become an investment banker, but I fucking be starting from zero right now if I started. I don't I don't understand a thing about finance. I don't I'm not good at maths. If I put in 20 hours a week for the next 10 years, I'd probably be able to do it. But people aren't willing to do that, mate. They, mm-hmm. they want to sit yeah. down, they write one draft, and, you know, then I know people don't understand the time kind of the, the time involved in it because I'll have people all the time ask me, can you read my book? Like I have, you know, 20 spare hours to sit down and read someone's book. <laughs> like, I'm like, like, it's like, read well, my manuscript. It's like, hey, dude, as much as I'd love to, because, you know, there might be a great, it might be a great read. I'm fucking pressed on time because I have a job. <laughs> like, and it is a, it is a job. It's a fucking brilliant job. I'm honestly, mate, like I do have to pinch myself. That, But I was having this conversation with my brother the other day. So I'm going on a long with the dancer here, but um, my brother wants to get into fashion design, right? And I've been writing professionally now for like five, six years. 
And as I mentioned earlier, I'm still ghostwriting for other people. Like, um, I could get by on my own books, but it would not be the lifestyle that I want. So I ghostwrite for other people in order to, you know, have the income level, which is more to how I want to live my life. Mm. And eventually I'll be able to do that by just writing my own books. But right now I'm writing for other people. Most of the work, I haven't written anything for myself since February. We're now in um, end of, uh, sorry, beginning of December. By the time I've finished and I actually get around to writing my own stuff again, it will have been a year since I've written anything for myself because I've been taking on ghostwriting work. And it's work, mate. It's deadlines. I have to turn up for a certain amount of hours every day in order to take my deadlines. Um, I'm accountable to other people. Um, you know, and I think it might, might take me another five years before I'm out of this. And that's fine, you know, but it's, I'd say, you know, people now they think, all right, you've got the job you want everything. And I do, but I'm still in the early stages of my career, mate. Like I'm, I'm still doing that. And so I've, I think realistically before I can do my dream, dream job, it's going to be 10 years of, of writing. Um, and that's on top of the years when I was writing, where I wasn't getting paid mm. to do it. So I'd say, I'd say my, my kind of like, my forecast i guess is realistically i'm thinking 15 years from when i first started writing to being able to be in a position where i just write what i want mm. and and that that is at that point aligned with what publishers want i think that's probably going to be about 12 15 years yeah it's doing um, the reps yeah it's exactly mate so i'm still fucking well in that I'm, I'm still in the learning phase mate like i'm still tweaking things from one project to the next i'm trying one of the good things about ghostwriting is you can try different ways of doing it with somebody else's money <laughs> um, <laughs> but i mean look i haven't had any complaints about what i've turned out on the other end so but it's practice um, isn't it it's just it's but just I practice doing it over and over things, again yeah yeah yeah, yeah and because yeah. the thing about book mate there's only so many books you can do a year so unfortunately like you know there's there's not that like it takes a lot of years to try different things out because you only get so many opportunities a year. Like this year, I'm on pace to, there'll be five five books that I did this year, which is the most I've ever done. Most I've done before is four. But I'll, I'll have done five full-length books um, this year. Um, some going, though, for someone to listen to that and hear the five books, one after the But that's the other. because it's my job, mate. Mm. Like, I'm coming in every day. I, like, I've worked, so I worked out to, to, to hit the schedule that I needed to. I've essentially had to write every day for... Um, uh, for the last couple of months, I've pretty much written or edited every day for a couple of months. And um, I have to do that every day until middle of January to hit my deadlines. So there are days where some days life will get in the way and I'll have to double up a day. Yeah, especially um, after you've been clubbing the night before or something. Well, I haven't been. That's the thing. I've had to knock that on the head. <laughs> like I, I, I just haven't had a social life the last couple of months, um, which is fine because I, lo I love my job. But again, are you willing to give up your social life? Mm. yeah you know because there's no, i i don't have kids mate so there's no way that i could write have kids have a have a healthy relationship have us um have the time i want for exercise like oh something's got to give mm. in there and um i just don't think and this isn't just writing mate in general uh is someone willing to punt one part of their life for another and if not then that's fine it just like because not everything is like like not everything is as important as we first think it is you know yeah. like if you don't if you think that you want to write but then someone says well you don't get to have as much time with your mates and your mates you want that time more then that's fine there's absolutely nothing wrong with that 
Um, but you just have to have that honest conversation with yourself. Yeah, it's seasons of life, isn't it? People talk about kind of balance and, and, and stuff, life being balanced and stuff, but I think mm-hmm. it depends on what your priorities are at that particular season of life. <clears throat> like sometimes I'll stick, you know, you seem to have seen some of the pictures I stick on when I'm sitting sitting at this desk at, you know, early in the morning and and, and doing stuff on Guild of Dads and stuff. And and um but that that I find meaningful because I can see the change that's happening in, in, in people's lives and in the men's lives that I come into contact with. So, you know, that's the, that's the kind of payoff on it for me. So, but you know, what, if I, if I was getting up in the morning and I was watching Netflix for two hours or whatever, you know, there's not really much payback from that. You know, I, I, okay. I might be an expert in every single season of, uh, you uh, that's on at the minute but you know other than that i'm not gonna really gonna i'm not really making any impact or and, and to go back to your kind of your uh what we were talking about early on about your calling and you notice your calling early on in life some people don't kind of hear that calling until a little bit later on so you kind of you're then in a position where you've okay well i'm already entrenched in the career so i've mm-hmm. got to try and fit that calling in somewhere else in around my life and actually kind of satisfy that need while I'm, while I'm paying the bills until such point as my calling can actually be my full time well, What I will say on that though, mate, is because sometimes I have had people say to me, like, oh, it's all right for you. You had that time on the ships and stuff. Yeah, I went to work on ships in the Indian Ocean to give myself that time, hmm. you know, to write. And because I didn't have that time in the Army, and that is something that, like, I'm sure you're the same way, Every single person I know who has got the job they wanted in the end or the art they wanted in the end has had to eat shit when it comes to they've had to. So like, you know, when I was working on ships, yeah, I got time to start writing because I was at sea for months at a time. So I didn't have, I was able to save money because I didn't have any kind of social life. I never, I I haven't had like relationships and stuff because I can't do, I, I, you know, I'm sure if someone's in an established relationship, you could probably work it out, but I haven't got the time to put into building a new relationship with someone um, while hitting my career goals. So you have to give up. So you have to give up something. There's only so many hours in the day, mate. Like you, you have to, I don't have kids. And one of the reasons why, again, is the relationship thing, you know, can't have those without, can't have one without the other. Right. Yeah. So you, you have to give, you have to give some, some stuff up, mate. And, but that's not a bad thing because if you're willing to give stuff up, it means you found that calling, right? So that's it, a great confirmation. If you're like, oh, right, well, actually, I'd rather be working on books than going out on dates. That's a fucking great sign that you, you've, you've found your right thing. And if you're not willing to give that up, you probably need to keep looking. And I think that's a battle that goes on, I think, in the psyche of men as well, because there's this battle that there's something else there. But how do I do that when there's other stuff going on? and and in actual fact is sometimes you have to be quite disciplined about it and you have to sort of say, oh, actually, no, right. But my door shuts at this time. That's when I'm doing this stuff. And then I, then, then another time is family time. And so you have to be kind of quite, um, uh, I think kind of quite slipstreamed in your approach as to how you, how you do things. And, and that kind of can get you down as well sometimes because, Sometimes you'll be like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing, whatever it is at this time, every day for the next 28 days or whatever. 
and then you'll have a couple of days when you kind of fall off the wagon and you're like, yeah, I feel like a piece of shit and I'm not worthy and all these kind of self-defeating thoughts come in and then you pull you, then you kind of metaphorically dust yourself off, get back off the ground and get back in the game sort of thing. But you still Mate. have those bits where you're kind of, you're up and down, you know what I mean? Mate, 100%. Like, sorry to interrupt, but I just really, like, a few weeks ago, I would not have had this conversation with you because I was really not, really not enjoying work because, like, I was, I hadn't figured out what was the problem, but the problem was I realized that it was getting me down, that I'd been, so people might think that like when you're writing for someone else, it's, that's the same as writing for yourself, but it's not because you're usually working to a brief. So your creativity is not coming out fully in that work. It's obviously coming out in a certain degree, but you're not really like, you're not like unleashing your full creativity. Mm. And it took me, I was, I was fucking down for a few weeks, man. And, and it was only when I put my finger on it that I was like, Oh, that's why you haven't done anything of your own since February. So what I've promised myself now is like, once these jobs are done in middle of January, I'm taking the next six months off to just do my own stuff. Unless something really lucrative comes in, in which case I'll probably, <laughs> probably do that. <laughs> but, um, but otherwise, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to do at least two, three of my own books next year, at least two, um, protect prop uh, three, unless there's something like crazy money coming in. But, uh, and once I, once I said that to myself, I was like, I felt better instantly once I'd worked that out. Uh, but the other part of that equation was I had to say to myself, well, you know what? You had a trip to America planned in March. Are you willing to not go there to have that money in case you're, you know, because one of these projects for yourself might not pay as much as the ghostwriting has been paying. Are you willing to cancel that trip? I thought, you know what? Yeah, I am willing to cancel that trip because I know that trip will be fun. But, you know, working for myself is going to be what it was, mate, was, and this is why, this is, we talk about callings, mate. I haven't even thought about this to be honest. It literally just comes to my head. You know, when you're on your calling, when you want to get out of bed in the morning, basically, it's just, it's the really simple way of putting it. And right now, when I've been doing this work recently, I'll get up in the morning and I work but I don't jump out of bed. I have to get up. I have to make myself not turn my phone on. I leave my phone on airplane mode before bed. I have to make myself not fucking look at that phone. Um, whereas when I'm writing my own stuff, mate, boom, I'm out of bed. I'm like fucking straight downstairs, not even thinking about anything else. And I'm on that computer all day, mate. Um, and that's when, you know, and that's why. So there's like, even, you know, I, I know a lot of, musicians djs you know electronic musicians stuff who make a living doing this stuff and they all told me like they've all done ghost producing for people and stuff like that so it's there's a difference between writing and writing <laughs> you know like those two things are not the same and you don't get when you're writing someone else's work you don't hit flow state or anything like that you know it's always like you know, you can be proud of your work. And I am proud of my work. I don't hand in any work, which I think is subpar because that's professionalism. But there's a difference between the professional and the artist. You know, they can come together a certain amount. There's a certain amount of art, uh, overlap there. But the question is, is do you have to ask, would, but would I be writing this if I wasn't getting paid for it? The answer would be no. Whereas there's other work where it's like, would you do this work if you get paid nothing for it? Yes. And the answer, or the reason why is because I have to. Like, I have some ideas right now, mate, which I came up with 
nearly got going on a year now, which I just haven't had time to write. And I have to write those ideas. Like I have to, um, there's no other way of describing it. Like I'm not really worried about dying. Right. But the, if you told me you're going to die before you write these ideas, that would worry me. Mm. And do you, and do you, and do you have a ritual that you kind of go through? Like some, like, People have this kind of like view of kind of James Kahn on uh, on on the uh, misery films tapping away on this typewriter before he gets his legs hobbled with uh, in, <laughs> in the. Uh, but like, do you have like a do you have a do you have kind of a ritual? Do you have like a like some some writers have like a like a notebook PC that's not connected to the internet, so they can't like get distracted and browse the internet when they're like. I actually enjoy having the internet on the PC. I don't have apps and stuff on the PC, but I really like being able to look up things if I want to. But like, I, I don't get distracted. I don't really watch like porn. Um, like, I, I, you know, for a special occasion now and again, sure. But I don't have like that kind of like because that. No, let's be honest, mate. Like that's one compulsion a lot of guys have on the on the laptop. I don't have that. Like. Um, getting paid is is more of a turn on for me than fucking porn. So, um, but no, I get out of bed in the morning. Um, you see how I'm dressed. Got a hoodie on for those of you listening on audio. Got a very sexy hoodie on. Got a bit of a beard going on. The reason why is because I get up in the morning, um, come straight downstairs, stick the kettle on, go for a piss while the kettle's brewing. Don't even bother brush my teeth. Sit down, start writing, and then I'll have a break after a couple of hours where I'll brush my teeth um all that kind of stuff but i I like to my ritual is getting in front of the computer in as short a time as possible from waking up don't look at my phone um literally just grab a cup of tea and sit down and start writing i I might be writing like within five minutes of of opening my eyes if that um those are the days where i will get the most work done um like i said i don't hit flow state working for somebody else because I think the reason why is because when you're writing for someone else, you always have to keep in your mind, am I sticking to the brief? Am I doing what this person wants? Because if you just let yourself go, you're going to be writing what you want, not what your client wants, right? Mm. So you don't, you can't get into flow state when you're thinking, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing, right? That's like the antithesis of flow state. Flow state is you're not thinking, you just do it. So, you know, I'm that th- that would be my ritual, mate. It's, this ritual is get my ass to the fucking laptop ASAP, start writing. If I do that, and usually if I say I've had a piss, I've had a cup of tea, I'm usually good for like an hour and a half then. And you usually, mate, in that hour and a half, I've done enough in that hour and a half that if I do nothing else for the rest of the day, I've made enough progress there that, that I'm gonna write three books a year. Yeah, because like in an hour and a half, then I've probably done two thousand words, and then I'll come back and add to that, and then I'll edit that. But that's there, and but and that mental kick I get from knowing that it's that's done, then gives me a lift to want to keep working. Whereas if I have to go and do stuff in the morning, like, so today, um, my like my you know I needed to do some stuff today. I need to hire a van to do some stuff for the family. Um, so in the past, I will have gone okay. Well, I'll try and do 2000 words, whatever in the afternoon. Now I've just realized, no, spread that word over the other, spread that extra words on the other days today. Just like, uh, what you got to do? Okay. You got to do the van in the morning, right? Work out in the afternoon, do some podcasts, uh, do some odds and ends jobs. Just don't try 
and write because it's never good. It, like I can tell when I'm going back and editing work what I wrote first thing and what I wrote in the afternoon because it's just you can tell that the the stream of consciousness is broken because I started yeah. thinking about my fantasy football team. I've started to think about plans on the weekend. I've started to think about um, you know what I need to get done rather than what I'm doing. Yeah. So that that's kind of like a big one. I remember that from school that I was never I could never concentrate after lunch for some reason. Mm. And I think when I was I can't remember it was when I was listening to Cal Newport's book or another book on the subject. He said that most people were early morning, and so you kind of early morning is your kind of peak. You know, it's first three or four hours of the peak time, and then you kind of have a dip off after lunch, and then there's another one early evening. I think where it peaks up again a little bit and then it gets goes, and then you're just useless, useless after a certain time. So I don't know how I'm keeping my creative juices flowing yeah. at this time of night because we're recording this. Because like, you're a pro, quite, mate. Because you're a pro, you're the doing evening. the work. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and do you find, just sort of go, that segues nicely into my next question that I was going to ask you was, do you find that your creative bandwidth gets kind of depleted? Like, you know, I, I sometimes you just end up with, you know, when your brain is just kind of, Imagine like a like a pint glass, and it's kind of just it's right up to the top sort of thing, and you need to kind of allow it just to go down a little bit, so you've got some pan, bandwidth there. Do you have something like like you know going out for a walk in the hills or whatever, just to kind of to to reinvigorate that creativity, or is or does it just come naturally to you? Yeah, it's not that, mate. It's more about avoiding distraction. Okay, my creativity is always there, like it's always there, and. It, it's about for me avoiding distraction if i can stay like focused that bandwidth does not get depleted like i've written full-length books in three weeks you know because i was able to just avoid distraction for a few weeks mm. um i've written other books same length took me three months because i was distracted um you know i don't mean distracted by my phone because my phone's always been around for every single one of those I mean, distracted by life, distracted by relationships, distracted by um, shiny objects. Just, just drudging of the past, mate. Just, just distracted mentally. Mm. But when I've kept, so like for me, it's it's never about bandwidth. That's always there. It's just about am I focused on the bandwidth? I mean, don't get me wrong, mate. Like, hey, I fucking I try and get. I, I one of the one of the things I feel really fortunate about with my day is. I get a few hours work done in the morning. I, I wake up. I let myself wake up naturally as well if I can. So I usually wake up about half nine, go to bed about two, half one. Wake up about half nine, smash a couple hours work, have some food, do another hour's work, and then I'll go outside and work out for like, by the, you know, it's about a two-hour window, and then I'll come back. The writing's done for the day at that point, then I'm editing, all that. Then sometimes I get a second wind in the evening, but that generally only happens when I'm working on my own stuff. If I'm writing for someone else, I don't get that because that second wind has to come from like, like that just desire to, to want to get back on there. If I've done the workout and I just look at it, I'm like, you know what? I've done my work for the day. I don't, don't really want to do any extra, you know, and I'll spend that time in the evening probably working on something like the podcast, um, maybe reading. Um, you mentioned watching Netflix earlier. I've actually had to change the heart. I actually used to think oh, I'm not going to watch Netflix and stuff. It's a waste of time. I was thinking the other day, I thought, I don't go to a museum and go like, oh, it's a waste of time looking at other people's paintings. I don't go, I wouldn't say that's a waste of time. So I've been watching Boardwalk Empire recently and it's really well written. It's really well put together. I'm like, I'm watching somebody else's art, which is very different to, I mean, look, I fucking love Jersey Shore. 
love it. But watching two hours of Jersey Shore is a very different thing than watching two hours of Boardwalk Empire. So I, one of the things I've done for myself, because before me, I was very much about squeeze out every ounce of productivity. Um, and I found that this year, this last few months, allowing myself to just sit in front of American football on a Saturday and a Sunday has done wonders for me to just be like, look, this game means nothing. Like I'm going to get nothing out of this except the entertainment of watching people run around hate each other. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, it's just like, I just can't, I don't know how to explain it. I just feel, to feel better. Yeah. You know, and guess what? It's, guess what? It's had zero effect on my work. Like mm -hmm. Still getting, still getting everything done on time, you know. But now instead of being like, "Oh no, I've got to do something," like don't get me wrong, like I might have some kind of like emails or like some like updating some documents or whatever on my, but I'm not forcing myself to do anything. No. It's just if you want to watch these guys just hit each other three hours, do it. No problem. Yeah, and there's and there's and and funny enough that ha that I I did that this evening because I'd come in from work and then I had some dinner and then mm -hmm. I um. And then uh, I, my my eldest, as I said to you before we came on air, she's really into like Thor at the minute. So we watched the I think it's Ragnarok because I think it's the third one. And um, but again, it gave me like a, an hour or so just to kind of just just switch off and stuff. And then I know that I've got like forty five minutes just to kind of get in the zone before I speak to you, sort of thing. Um, and and that enables me to just again have a little bit of, a little bit of bandwidth to actually think. Well, okay. What am I going to be talking to Garen about tonight? And as usual, I've got like an A4 sheet of paper here and and I've probably spoke to you about three or four of the things <laughs> on that and then most of the other stuff. Because again, again sort of my 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 podcasting's changing now and in, in the sense that when I first started podcasting, I very much kind of went to the kind of notes, religious, not religiously, but I used them as a framework, whereas now I'm kind of riffing a bit more and just... You know, I know in my mind what I want to be talking about, but I allow it to kind of go where it's going to go. And I think it just creates a lot more natural and insightful products as well, because I think that you, you you get shared insights when you're talking about stuff like, I think about a third of the way through, you were like, I'd never thought about it that way. And you kind of, it's just a different, it's just a different kind of thing. So, um, but uh, yeah. Well, yeah, the questions going into an interview are just, it's best guess mm. at the time. And then you prevent, you present it then with, you know, changes of circumstances, better options. I do the same here. Like I do going into the podcast when I do veteran state of mind, um, I have questions because that then makes me feel more confident about it because I know if I have a brain fart for whatever reason, I've just got it there and that just takes the pressure off. But like, I'm the same as you may I very rarely, very, very rarely follow them. And that's why like, you know, it's, I, I think that people enjoy that. That's why people come to your podcast, mate. It's because you've done the preparation, but also you have a natural kind of um, conversational ability off the back of it. So there's your compliment. Well, thank you very <laughs> that's much. What you, that's so what you get for staying up late. <laughs> so all these nice things. Um, it's been a really good uh, combo as usual with you, mate. So uh, this evening, and uh, we've delved into a lot of stuff. And again, we. I always say this when I speak to you that we could go for like three or four hours. So what I'm going to have to kind of make sure that happens now, things people who travel around a bit more is that I actually make sure to actually meet up with you at some stage in either in North Wales or wherever you're going to be in the uh, country. And I'll get you out of your hermit um, writing <laughs> trance that you're in. And actually, yeah. but 
Garen, this is this is fresh air. These are hills. You know those things. Hey, I, they exist I, outside I get, of where I get you're fresh riding. air, mate. I just get them, I just get them away from other human beings. And when I go for a walk, if I see other people, I'm, I am I am always just like, what are you What are you doing out here? This is supposed to be my, it's supposed to be my hill. What are you doing out here? But no, mate, it's good. Like you know what, mate? I'll say that for people as well. It's like, I, you know, because I don't want to give the wrong impression. It is very important that if you want to get into something like writing, that you are willing to make a lot of sacrifices. But that is not, I want to make sure that people understand, that does not mean you totally give up on something. So are you going to have to see your friends less or are you going to have to spend less time in a relationship, that kind of stuff? Yes. But that just means you need to ring fence a certain amount of time to make sure that it does happen. Because one of the things that I've done in the past, which I'd love people to learn from my mistake on, is I've gone all in on hermit mode. And it's just, you, that is when you burn out. Um, you know, now I'm like, I, I, I understand the value of, right, boys night. You know, it's on the calendar. I'll pop up into like my group chat and I'll literally be like, right, boys, can anyone do this night? Right, cool. And then I'll disappear out of that group chat for the next month. And then, but then I'm going to meet up with the boys. Um, and that is really important. So if anyone's listening, it's like, yes, you do need to make sacrifices. If you want to get into something like, writing or any other art or start a business that's not your job but make sure that you do make time for your loved ones make sure you make time for your your friends and all that stuff because um you know otherwise you 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 will just you you will burn out and you you need that stuff to kind of like fuel your soul and you can't write without soul so there we go yeah i agree with that one definitely now, I can't ask you what you find meaningful in life because I've already asked you that on the mm. first time you came around and put on the podcast. So I've had to queue up something, something, another pearl of wisdom. What do you think, what, uh, what are people not talking about right now, Garrett, that they should be? That's my question to you this evening. Government tyranny. No, I said <laughs> I wasn't going to talk about that tonight. What are people not talking about they should be? Oh, mate, that's a really good question. Um, it's actually really hard to think about this one and not think about it in in the current like political climate. Um, I don't know, mate. What are they talking about that they shouldn't be? I don't even know what people are talking about. <laughs> to be honest, mate. Um, I don't know. Like, I think maybe just, and I'm I'm one of these people, mate. Is that I I can definitely be sucked into negative feedback loops. And, and that kind of thing. So I think when we talk about what are people not talking about, they should be just more positive things, more like as much as there is a lot of stuff in the world that could get better. And maybe we are sliding backwards into some bad habits as humanity in, in certain ways. Uh, it's still a great fucking time to be alive. Um, really is really exciting time to be alive. There's so much opportunity. Um, I was just talking, you know, like this 98 year old world war two veteran today. And like I said, in his lifetime, his, his home was bombed you know, family killed in a bombing, then he fights in the war and stuff. I mean, life could be a lot worse, mate. So people are not talking about how good life is enough, mm. in my opinion. I like it's that. fucking great. I like that a lot. I like it. Man, it's been a total night of pleasure again, as usual. And uh, no doubt, we're going to have to work out we're going to do a round <laughs> three, but I'm sure it will happen at some stage. He is now officially a friend of the uh, Guild of Dads podcast. Mr. Garrett Jones, thank you for joining us this evening. Mate, I love what you do. Thank you so much for having me on. Cheers. Cheers, man. A big thanks to Garrett Jones for joining me today. He now has the distinction of being the first guest to have appeared on the podcast twice. And it's always a pleasure speaking to him. He's such a fountain of knowledge on information, 
on so much stuff we could we could really go on for hours speaking and uh and it's always hard to stop the mic at the end of the conversation so if you've ever wondered what it takes to write a book or even five books a year as is the case with Geraint then now you know but f- much more than that we delved into how people are called to things in life the work that that calling necessitates in us but also the challenges and sacrifices required along the way for some of you guys listening you'll be thinking how could i do all that with all my other commitments but as garrett said at the end of our conversation you don't need to start big but you do need to make a start what do you think about calling do you have a nagging feeling that you are paid to do one thing but what you would really love to do is another maybe you struggle with identifying what it is you want if you want to link up with me you can do so on twitter or facebook using the handle at guild of dads let me know what resonated about this episode did i mention that you can now buy me a coffee on my website guildofdads.com it's really easy and helps me keep the lights on here at guild of dads towers just head on over to guildofdads.com click on the coffee cup button and go for it those of you who donate get a shout out on here and in the facebook group in order to have a positive impact on the world we improve ourselves and inspire others the fee for this podcast is that you share it with anyone that you think would benefit from anything you've found useful or interesting. If you make a point of sharing Guild of Dads with friends and relatives, it means it can grow, expand and help as many men as it can, just like you. The other thing that you can do is leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which really helps others to find the podcast. Right now, the Guild of Dads Facebook group is growing fast, very fast in fact, If you want to get on board, head on over there and join up today where you can get around a lively group of dads and other guys talking everything about being a dad and improving themselves as men and dads. Hopefully, you find something insightful in every episode, so share with dad you know. In the meantime, live a life of vision, action and meaning, apply what you hear, and we'll see you next time.